Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken.
Wonderful. Good morning. As I told the um, nine o'clock service, this sermon is uh, quite possibly the hardest sermon that I have ever had to write. And it's not through lack of content, but because God in the process broke my heart. And this morning, I want the same for us as a church. So do not be prepared to hear an eloquent preach, but to be uncomfortable. I want us to be so uncomfortable that it moves us into action. Because we have been comfortable for far too long, myself included. And today, that is going to change. There is nothing in the pot. We have no food for a meal. Often a pot is put on the fire, so children think a meal is being prepared. It gives them hope. If we told them there was no food, then they would just start crying, and there would be nothing we could do. This way, they just go to sleep quietly. There is a hunger crisis in this world where 14% of the world's population will go to bed hungry. This equates to 900 million people, wives, mothers, sisters, daughters, husbands, fathers, brothers and sons, go to bed hungry every night. By 2030, we will need two planets to sustain our growth. Yet, there is enough food to feed the smallest and the biggest of these. So, if there is enough food for everyone, why is there so much hunger? And the long and short of it is, as uncomfortable as this is to hear, it's because of us. It's because of me, and it's because of you. Because in reality, just praying about this stuff isn't going to put food in the mouths of babies or stop sweatshops from exploiting their child workers. Because in reality, whether we like it or not, we are the ones that cause this injustice. And we cause this injustice through one simple fact. We are Bashan cows. In Amos 4, we hear this from the straight-talking prophet. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, and the last of you with fish hooks. You'll go each straight through the breaches in the wall, and you'll be cast out towards Harmon, declares the Lord. In this harsh message, Amos declares a warning to the cows of Basham. And this phrase is an ironic and scathing comparison to the wealthy women of Samaria, to the well-raised and pampered cows who roamed the pastures of the Jordan. These cows were the best breed that could be found. They were well-fed and devoured everything in their path. And in the same way, the women demanded their cravings to be satisfied by their husbands. For these Bashan cows, the cost to have desires and cravings met we're not seen against the cost to the poor and the needy. Today, we could say that as Bashan cows, if we can't see it, it doesn't exist. 
as Bashan cows, if we can't see the child making our clothes, the suffering doesn't exist. As Bashan cows, we don't need to make a decision about we should or shouldn't buy because it doesn't affect us or our families. As Bashan cows, a rise in the poor and an unstable world doesn't matter because we are so rich we can enjoy life no matter what the cost. And as Bashan cows, I have even heard it said that we don't need to think about suffering because we're Christians and one day Jesus will come back and get rid of it for us. And as Bashan cows, we get hoarded around, told what to buy, what to think, what to be, what to do. As Bashan cows, we are nothing more than consumers, devouring everything in our path and swallowing everything that is given to us. And when we have done that, we ask for more. But as Christians and as followers of Jesus who love him, I'm sure that we're immune from such attitudes and awakened to such things. Well, I know I'm not. But the one thing I do know is that this is a wrestle and it's a challenge to not be herded by the crowd. For me, this wrestle comes when I'm feeling low, in want of a new item of clothing, gadget or foodstuff, or to make me feel a little better, or when I'm out in the garden. I wouldn't profess myself to be much of a gardener. I like to think that I am, but my skills extend to mowing and being site manager and delegator extraordinaire whilst Ben does the hard graft. And if I had a wheelbarrow, I'd probably look a little like that. A couple of months ago, we, or rather Ben, had the bright idea of building raised vegetable patches in the garden in a pledge to live more sustainably. The items we had to hand were some old concrete slabs, some pallets, floorboards from the tip, and a toilet suite, along with a few nails. And Ben proposed that we use these items to build them. In my head, I did not see how this was possible, even it, for it to look nice and saw only images of what we termed communist chic blocks standing upright in a patch of dirt. So I petitioned that we go to the garden centre and buy a new raised bed, one that was of the pretty wicker variety, or perhaps the new funky polytunnels. But Ben stood firm and tried to excite me about what could be, and after a while, I relented. And I'm pleased that I did. And this was the result. For it was in the recycling of materials that new life was able to spring up without cost to anything or anyone else. And to my surprise, it looked good too. And it's times like that that I wonder if I need to get over myself. And if I'm honest, the times this needs to happen most is when I begin to worry about what other people might think or if I'm aware that I'm not living up to what the media or even Shrewsbury say I should be and have. Too many times have I been drawn into a shop because of the gleaming new item of clothing in the window to go in, try it on, buy it, get home and realise I didn't even think about where it had come from or who had made it. And this is a sad fact when in the world there's an industry of something called sumangali the enslavement and trafficking of young women and girls for clothes making. This is a sad fact when I consider that on average, 
0.5% of the money I pay for an item of clothing goes to the worker. That's 5p for every £10. And 75% of what I pay is pure profit for the retailer. That's £7.50. It's a sad fact when I, like millions of others, have around 30% of clothes in my wardrobe that haven't been worn in the past year. It's a sad fact when I have thrown away a pair of holy socks, it contributes to the 350,000 tonnes of clothes in landfill every single year. Too many times have I not thought about how I could be better spending my money or where my money is even being invested. And it is this attitude or lack of thought when purchasing my goods that is quite frankly a sin. And this sin in regards to social injustice can be translated in the Old Testament as a crime. The social injustice involved in my being a Bashan cow is a crime. Not just a falling short, but a crime against God, against his creation and his order of things. And, as Isaiah points out, as we heard this morning, we bring this into our worship. I have no doubt that we love to enter into worship and prayer as a church, and this is something that actually we're quite good at. And whilst the offering we bring is good, and sometimes more than generous, our worship should be about offering our lives in everything. God is done with our attending on a Sunday morning and doing as we please for the rest of the week ahead. God is done with our worship that is singing for singing's sake and doesn't lead to true fasting that Isaiah speaks of. God is done with our view of church as a place of piety, perfection and receiving when he is telling us in no uncertain terms in this passage and throughout the Bible to usher in revival and salvation through the act of serving others. God is done with our fasting for one day. God is done with our pointing the fish at malicious talk and blaming others. And God is done with us living comfortably at the expense of others. I wonder what you expect from worship when we meet on a Sunday. Because if worship ends when we leave at 10, 12 or 8, then somehow our worship is less than it should be. It falls short. If this morning or evening is a sum of our worship, then it is less than it should be. If this preach or the songs we have sung are the sum of our worship, then it is less than it should be. My friend Graham once challenged me on these points with a sermon very similar to this one and told me that a Sunday service is not an island of worship but the gathering point of worshippers. And to be truthful, upon hearing this for the first time, I was angry. How dare someone suggest that how I worshipped and my attitude to worship was less than it should be. But when I examined myself truthfully, I realised that my worship on a Sunday island was not nearly good enough, and my life changed. For too long, I had blamed other people for the poor, the government, the corporations, and the industry. But as Isaiah points out, I too am to blame. I too turn away from the naked and poor on my TV screen. 
I too have rejected the charity collector at my doorstep. I too extend generosity and hospitality to only those who are similar to myself. And in the same way God challenged Israel through Isaiah, Amos and countless others through history, so God is challenging us. How do we measure up to those Bashan cows? How do we loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? How do we set the oppressed free? How do we share our food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? These are not metaphors. These are not similes. These are not allegories. They're talking about the literal poor, the literally hungry, those who are literally wandering. The red words of Jesus in the Gospels when he talks about the poor are not metaphors, similes or allegories. When he says, sell all your possessions, he means sell all your possessions. And this is what God demands of us. We're not the first people to have forgotten about the poor. Jesus' whole ministry was focused on telling people that they would never be rid of them. And the Bible speaks of poverty and the poor over 2,000 times. And in these Bibles here, that's an average of 1.5 times a page. This is God's big agenda. And yet it's something that we choose to ignore. But because there have been people throughout history who have taken what scripture says literally, sold their possessions, dropped debt, gave sight to the blind, gave homes to the lost and lonely, food to the poor, we have today. Things are better for us. The NHS, the welfare state, a minimum wage, food on our tables, money in our pocket and roofs over our heads. We have inherited this because of the people who have gone before us. Elizabeth Fry, William Wilberforce, Charles Spurgeon, Dr. Bernardo and Bevan. And elsewhere in the world, the likes of Sister Emmanuel, Rachel Carrick, Kevin Rose, Blake Mycosi, Bill Gates and Mother Teresa have all fought for the poor, the oppressed and the marginalised. And Mother Teresa is arguably the most well-known of these, and perhaps this is why. Mother Teresa was one of those people who sacrificed great privilege because she encountered such great need. People often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. But she was short, wrinkled and precious, perhaps even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there is one thing I will never forget, her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning in mass, I would stare at them and I wondered if she'd contracted leprosy. But I wasn't going to ask, of course, hey, mother, what's up with your feet? One day, a sister said to us, have you noticed her feet? We nodded, curious, and she said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone, and mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair, so she digs through them and finds them, and years of doing that has deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbour as herself deformed her feet. 
And this is the kind of fasting that creates a divine longing for justice, where our feet become deformed by a love that places our neighbours above ourselves, where our own stomachs groan with the hungry bellies of the world. And maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For how many of us are really starved for justice? Sometimes breaking the cycles of injustice means we need to get our feet crippled, put ourselves last to be remembered and known as an advocator for the poor. And the job that Mother Teresa and countless others whose names aren't even known is not yet finished. Trade is still greatly unfair in the poorest countries that are crippled with debt. An area the size of London is brought up by private investors every six days, pushing small-scale farmers out of the way. 90% of global trade in grain is controlled by five leading companies. Money lost by developing countries to tax havens is three times the global aid budget. 58% of global land acquisitions in recent years have been to produce crops that are used for fuel, not food. But we have an opportunity to add to the giant shoulders on which we stand. We have an opportunity to be a restorer of streets with dwellings, an opportunity to see water spring up from the ground. We have an opportunity to give of ourselves and there is no other response than this that should be given in our worship. We must respond as Jesus did, to be our worship of God through giving our all. The singing, the prayers, the silence, these are all important. But our worship cannot end there. It needs to lead us to where Jesus went, and that is the cross. Giving our all in being a living sacrifice. And it begins by being connected, getting perspective and breaking out of the cocoon that consumes us. So get inspired, understand, empathize and let the world get to you. When something makes you uncomfortable on the telly or in the paper, don't turn it off or turn it over. Read the news, sleep on the floor for a week, live on a pound a day. Inspect your theology, prayer walk, choose regular prompts to pray and ask God to break your heart in the process. Keep someone who is lonely company, bake a cake, and get to know what's going on in your community. Write a letter to someone who's imprisoned. Secondly, advocate on behalf of the poor. Let your life be a megaphone and demand more for those living in poverty. Add your voice to the IF campaign. Contact the local media about a cause you're passionate in. Eat fair trade and do your homework on non-fair-traded affiliated companies to see how they rate. Send a loose seat to an MP as a point of raising sanitation issues. Buy into green energy companies and swap to an ethical bank. Download the free-to-work app and see how the product you're buying has actually been made. Go on a mission trip. Thirdly, live generously. Sometimes it's harder to share something that you love than to give money. But really making a change can be a tough challenge. So, twin your toilet. Pick up rubbish in your community. Give your money for a coffee to a poverty charity. Volunteer. Declutter. Sell your possessions. Make a stewardship budget. 
Give 10% or more of your wage away. Cook a meal and invite the homeless. If someone likes something of yours, give it to them. Sponsor a child. Reverse tithe. Sponsor Ben and Love 146 for the Three Peaks Challenge to raise awareness of child slavery and trafficking. And lastly, be content. Consumer culture tells us that we have to have more. But more stuff means more change for the climate and challenge for people in poverty. So this week, fix something that is broken. Go veggie for a day. Find where you are on the global rich list and try life without television. Don't buy clothes for a while. Buy nothing for a day. Hand wash your clothes. Buy second hand. Value your stuff. Have a technology-free day. Walk, bike, or bus. Plan your meals. Buy a third less for your shopping. Pray only thank you prayers for a week. At the end of the service, there are information packs available about several campaigns and initiatives which can help us to do these things on the table at the back. So please have a look. But in the meantime, let us see our worship turn around and make manifest the glory of God in the lives of others through acknowledging our failings, becoming aware of what we ignore, and then, in the words of Tear Fund, be part of a miracle in changing how we think, how we buy, and how we are for the sake of the millions that will go hungry and are trapped in slavery and poverty that are all wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of our living God. So then, I wonder what struck you most about 